you are hearing so many opinions and so many this is how you do it stories and we heard that so many times that this is not the approach that you would usually do and we were like yeah but this is how we want to do it but to be really honest the product or the the company especially in the first one or two years it's the founders and if you're not able to stay authentic then people will not believe that you are the person who's able to build that product or that vision or that idea that you have my name is Francie Löw and i'm the cto and the co-founder of localize This is Code Story, the podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries who share in the critical moments of what it takes to change an industry and build and lead a team that has your back. I'm your host, Noah Labhart, and today, how Franzi Lowe built the platform to enable your company to hire talent beyond borders. All this and more on Code Story. Franzi Lowe doesn't have the usual CTO path. She studied economics and was doing her PhD in econometrics prior to her current venture, and she was a teaching assistant. She loves to play sports and can't go a day without playing some sort of sport. She's passionate about triathlons, which is something she can do with her recently injured knees. Living in Hamburg, Germany, she and her husband always enjoy hiking and being outside. When COVID hit the world, the topic of global mobility was pushed into view. Francie, along with her co-founders, used to live abroad and experienced the lack of support when moving to a new area and settling in. They wanted to come up with a solution to help people during this relocation process. This is the creation story of Localize. Localize is a software that helps companies to relocate international employees um this is how we started um covid happened and we kind of moved more towards this global mobility topic where now we are not just managing relocations but we have people living somewhere else than the headquarter and you still have to manage um your global workforce so everything like all those global mobility processes that are happening uh, due to covid and basically what we do is that we have a software hr software where the hr department can manage and track all the employees that are living wherever they want to live um but on the other side and this is really important to us as well is that we also have a personalized to do list for the talent that is relocating or whatever global mobility person might be in the end this is how we started this whole thing all three of us so Lisa Hanna and me we used to live abroad Hanna was living in China I was living in Argentina Lisa was living in Denmark we experienced it ourselves what it means to move somewhere and not having the the support that you might need in order to settle in quickly and we were like I guess the people would have the same problem moving to Germany we wanted to come up with a solution that helps the talent or the person that is relocating but we quickly found out that it's easier to build a B2B startup <laughs> so and Lisa one of my co-founders she used to work for a big gaming company in Hamburg and she was working for the HR department there and she did like relocation for 2 years so i i think she relocated like 2000 people so this is how how we came up with the idea <laughs> 
Tell me about the MVP, and and you know, given some of your starting story, it sounds like it's it started in different places, and perhaps you know came together when you you all came together to do localize. But tell me about the MVP. How long did it take you to build, and what sort of tools did you use to bring it to life? This is actually another really funny story, I have to say, because when we started localize, we were looking for a technical co-founder because. My background is actually not software engineering, but statistical engineering. I had no idea on how to build a client or how to build a server or how to connect a client and a server. I actually didn't even know what those words mean. But it was really hard to find a technical co-founder that fit for the three of us. And then Hannah, my co-founder, she, she was mentioning like, Francie, you know how to code. Can you just build the MVP for us? Because at that point in time, we were basically just pitching the idea, but we didn't have a product. And then actually the first MVP was with an R, not a cool programming, like software development programming language. But it was good enough to show what we want to do because I think people didn't really understand what we are trying to do because it wasn't there before and it's still not really there before. Uh, it's still really there. This was not something that we sold to our customers, but it was something that we used to kind of pitch to investors to accelerate the programs. And then the real first MVP was built in Ruby on Rails. And this was also the thing that we uh, moved to the market with, that we sold our customers in the first place. And yeah, the backend is still Ruby on Rails. We still probably have some code from four years ago, uh, which of course is not great. <laughs> but we are, slow, we are slowly in the refactoring mode for, for the last pieces there. With the MVP, right, when you're building any MVP, you've got to make certain decisions and trade-offs about, you know, what you're going to start with, right? Or, and you mentioned some of this, the choosing the language, but but dive into that or, or other decisions and trade-offs you had to make too around technical debt or feature cut and how you coped with those decisions. As I mentioned in the beginning, the like the initial or let's say the motivator to start localize is to really help the person that's relocating. And we are always in this trade-off between the talent and the HR department because we are still like a fairly small engineering team. So we are now 10 people, but we are growing. Like in the engineering team, we are 10 people. So there was always the trade-off between are we building a new feature for the HR person or are we building a new feature for the talent? And in the beginning, we really focused on the talent because we were like, yeah, companies, they will invest in employer branding. They want to help them have the best onboarding experience. So we invested a lot in features like showing them where they can do their sports, showing them where they can put your, their kids to the kindergarten and not so much on the process automation side, which is like, how do they actually get their visa and what does the HR department has to do um, in order to support them? So this was like the first pitch that we went out for our first customers. We support them. We have this really cool app for employees where they basically can see what they can do in Hamburg or wherever city they might move to Germany. And they were like, yeah, that's nice, but actually we don't really care about it. Please just help us with like everything related to Visa and all those kind of things. That was the first like trade-off that we have to make that we really invested in HR features and really like focused on the customer that is paying for the service rather than on the talent that is relocating. Like when we showed our value add for the HR department with what we're doing, we also then were able to focus more on the talent because they realized that if the talent has a good experience with us, then they will also stay longer in the companies. Then move forward, right? You have your MVP 
it's working, you're gaining some traction. How did you progress the product and mature it? And I think to wrap that in a box, how how did you go about building your roadmap? And how did you decide, okay, this is the next most important thing to build? We always were really good in developing features or developing our product close to our customers. We always include them in what we are working on next. That was always our approach. It also comes a little bit from the fact that like neither Lisa nor like me or Lisa or Hannah, we are not coming from this tech world, the startup world. We all have super different backgrounds, but none of us like had ever built up startup before. And we were like, okay, how do we actually know what we have to build? And then intuitively, we just like asked our customers because they should know what they need. We did like on-site demos, something that you cannot really imagine now anymore. We were really kind of going to their offices, showing what we have in, in their meeting rooms um, and then ask them for feedback. And I guess this is like how we developed our roadmap in the first place. Now, of course, we also know that when you ask your customers, they oftentimes don't really know what exactly they need. Now, of course, we have a product team um, that is super experienced and we have a UX researcher team and it's a little bit more structured. During COVID and shortly after COVID, when this whole idea of moving wherever you want to move and like working from everywhere was happening, HR departments, they were quite confused on how they can find their place in this world and what, do, what solution do they actually need to support their employees. And this was a time where we did a lot of experimentation around our feature sets. Uh, we just asked them, what is the problem that you want to solve? And I think we built at least like three features in like an MVP stylish way that we then threw away just because we thought that they might need it. But then we saw that they didn't really use it. This is something where do things that don't scale in the beginning mindset uh, was, is, is still really big. Uh, and how we decide on what to do next. We, I guess, always first try out and then decide on if we want to move forward with the feature. Let's switch to team. So then how did you go about building your team? And, and what I'm most interested in is what did you look for in those people to indicate that they were the winning horses to join you? I think in the beginning, we were really looking for those independent developers that maybe don't have too much experience. So maybe they are not like in the market for five years or so, but they are just looking for a role where they can find creative solutions, where they can build MVP features fast, where they can just without a lot of guidance from the product team, for example, independently decide on how to build something. Um, I guess this was a really good idea for the beginning, for the first one or two years. But then at some point, you are in a different phase with, with your technology, with your startup. And there, we really looked for someone who is more experienced that can clean the mess a bit <laughs> from the first years and take a little bit more ownership on code quality and all those kind of things. But of course, it's still important that you don't want that developer in your team or any developer in your team that's really just like looking for code quality and it's not really looking for what is the value that we are creating for our customers. And I guess this is something where we are still looking for when we hire someone, do they have a pragmatic mindset? Still, of course, being able to write quality code, but having the idea of whatever they are doing, it's because the ultimate goal is to create value for our customers and to help our 
users to, I don't know, get a visa. So they, they should be kind of mission driven on what we are doing and what we are trying to do with Localize. And to be really honest right now, since like I'm kind of a like female techie, for me, what we are looking for right now is also really like supporting female developers and making them grow in the role and to allow a lot of diversity in the team, not just in gender, but like whatever kind of diversity you can look at. It's really important for me that this is a focus since the beginning when we're building the team. So let's flip to scalability. So did you build this to scale efficiently from day one, or have you been fighting this as you grow and gain traction? Um, no, we did build that with having scalability in mind. And I think the term scalability is something that's just becoming important for us. I mean, in the end, we don't have thousands or millions of users on our platform. We have on a, like, let's say peak day, we would have 200 users on our platform. I guess like from like now on it's growing and we will have more, but it's not going to be going to be 10 times more or 100 times more. It's probably going to be four times more, five times more in this year and maybe next year. So scalability was never a super big issue for us. Until now, we were always able to fix any issues that we would have with just like adding more dinos to the server or something like that. So scalability wasn't ever baked in in what we build so far and it's just happening that we hired someone who is a little bit more experienced like a head of engineering that is coming from from a bigger technology like from a from a bigger company with like a more scalable technology who's facing those or who's addressing those topics to be really honest since my background is not software engineering it was never on top of my mind to build something that's scalable. Now that's interesting. So as you've progressed in your you know, technical founding, as the company has progressed, and, and I hear you saying that scalability is more of a factor now, but I would even ask, how has that changed in, in your mind, being a, a sort of a non-technical, technical founder, how have you grown in that way and in your leadership towards scalability? I think for me, the harder part was building my skill set in managing people rather than building my skill set in technology. Of course, I'm coming into this technology world, the software engineering world, without any prior knowledge to on how to build that. And I had a lot of imposter syndrome moments, especially while we were in Silicon Valley for the Y Combinator. But then I also realized that people are super nice and really helpful and they always help you out with that. So I'm really good in diving deep into te technological problems, really understanding what's the issue behind. And if I know that I'm not able to fix it, asking the people to help me fixing it. So everything around technology, I guess I'm just pretty good and, and learning fast. And also because I just really love it. I love coding and I love everything related to technology. I, as I mentioned, for me, the harder part was, and still is to be honest, managing people, um, managing expectations, helping them grow, being able to just support them in the best way so they can be or they can succeed in their role. I guess this is kind of the hardest part. And like many of your listeners know the, um, the book from Kim Scott, Radical Candor. And I'm definitely on the ruinous empathy side where I'm just sometimes too kind. <laughs> so I guess this is kind of my, 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 my biggest challenge to be really challenging to people and help them understand that they need to like 
they need to be challenged to 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 grow in their role. So as I mentioned, yeah, I think all the topics around team setup, team development, this is a harder the harder part for me, and um, not so much the technology. Well, as you step out on the balcony and you look across all that you've built, what are you most proud of? I'm really, really proud of the team that we have right now and also that we had in the past, of course. Personally, I'm, of course, also proud on like the, the technology and, and the thing that I was able to learn during the past four years. If someone would ask me what I'm most proud of, it's really definitely the team that we're building. And um, I can see that we have some employees that are with us since three years, some even since four years, since the beginning, and to really see how they are growing in their role and all the challenges, challenges that they overcame in the past. Um, I guess it's, it's really like the team and what they're able to achieve with the limited resources that we had before Series A. Well, let's flip the script a little bit. So tell me about a mistake you made and how you and your team responded to it. I see mistakes as nothing really bad, to be honest, because in the end, it's just technology and you can fix it. But I guess the biggest mistakes that we are always doing is that we start to develop features without being really, really sure that this is needed. But then again, I mean, you really only know that you should build a feature if people start using it or not start using it in, in those times. But I guess we can get better in really validating what we are building in the first place. Because of course, in the end, it's like you're losing, you're losing time. And especially for a startup at our stage, time is super crucial. And whenever you feel like you are doing something that doesn't create direct revenue, it just feels like a time waste. Building a feature that wasn't really required, taking too much time into finding that out. You just have to iterate fast. And if you're not able to iterate fast and also throwing away what, what is not needed, building features that are not relevant for our customers are the biggest mistakes that we are still doing. Let's switch to you, Franzi. Who influences the way that you work? Name a person you look up to and why. I would definitely say that my two co-founders, Lisa and Hannah, influencing a lot the way that I'm working. Especially in the beginning, I think I mentioned that we all have really different backgrounds. So Hannah, she's coming from consultancy, um, Lisa's coming from HR, and I was working at the university. I was not even teaching or anything. I mean, I was I was a teaching assistant, but usually I would just sit in my office alone and writing on my research papers, not talking to anyone for a week or so, maybe my, my, my professor. And then I was thrown into that startup world where you would be sitting together with your co-founders and you would be chatting all day. And it was really challenging for me in the beginning. And they were asking me constantly, like, Francie, how's it going? Hey, what are you doing? Like, how's the progress? And I felt really offended by them because I was like, don't you trust me that I can do it? And they were like, Francie, you didn't talk to us for one day. Please just let us know what you're doing because just we need to kind of coordinate to get an understanding on how you actually work in a team that was really influenced by, by Hannah and Lisa in the first place. And, and still, whenever I feel like I don't really know how to behave or what to do in the situation, I always ask them kind of what is, what is the normal thing to do 
in that situation in a company because I never worked with a company before and then I just don't know a lot of situations. So I guess those are the, the two persons that mostly influence my way of working. And then I also consume a lot of podcasts and books. I have to say I'm, uh, I'm, a, I'm a big fan on, on all those podcasts and all those audio and, and written books written by, by people that are super smart and that have a lot of good ideas around that. Um, I, I guess this is also influencing a lot the way that, that I'm working. Top of the list is Code Story, I'm sure. I'm sure, <laughs> friend. <laughs> <laughs> what does the future look like for Localize, the product, and for your team? So we started Localize with a strong focus on Germany, um, on the German market. Most of our customers are German customers. And of course, if you want to grow, you need to grow either vertically or horizontally. Um, And we are growing into different markets, which means that right now we are opening markets in the UK and the Netherlands and in Spain and in Portugal, wherever our current customers have, for example, developer hubs, but also where we see new customers, prospective new customers asking for our support. So Localize currently is expanding in Europe. Um, which also, of course, need, means that we have to rewrite our product a little bit to make it adaptable or more adaptable. We had a similar situation when we went to the Y Combinator two years after we started the company, where they told us that Germany is probably not the most scalable market, so you should maybe want to try out UK or Canada. We then decided that we want to focus on Europe. So. This year is really about expansion in Europe, but then after the Series B, we also said that we will try out Canada again, the US market as well, um, and other markets where our service might be a a big value add for for the companies that are hiring there. For the team, we are now 60 people in general, and we are growing a lot right now. A lot means not like kind of doubling within a three months timeframe, but rather 100 to 120 by the end of this year, which of course it's, it's a big challenge for, for any company, for an, any, any organization. If you grow, you just have to have in mind that there are different steps and different stages in your company culture and how you do things and processes, how you document. So we are currently trying to set up processes, hire internal teams to make sure that those processes are still scalable when we hire more people, but still don't lose this culture of being a startup and working together with smart people that want to achieve something. Well, we talked about a mistake earlier, but a little bit different spin. If you could go back to the beginning, what would you do differently? Or where would you consider taking a different approach? And that can be at Localize or really anything you want to bring up. I would ask for help earlier. And that, that could be like in different situations. So I, I, I think maybe the situation where maybe most of your listeners can relate to the most is that when you start a startup, you get credits for everything, right? You get credits for Google Cloud, you get credits for AWS, you get credits for I don't know what. <laughs> and of course, we were like, yeah, okay, I mean, we need a server, so let's start it somewhere. And I was just like getting into this whole EC2 cloud computing. I, I just, I, I really had no idea what I was doing. And I was losing myself in the AWS documentary, which is a nightmare if you don't have any clue about um, <laughs> those topics. 
So we were just like, okay, just like, like go, go with AWS. I was watching a lot of YouTube videos on how to set up a server and how to connect it to the internet and how to set your SSL certificate. And I spent my nights trying to figure that out and to debugging that. One day before we went to a customer to present our product, the server was basically down and I tried to fix it. And then at some point, someone came to me, they were like, why don't you just use Heroku, Fancy? If you have no idea about DevOps, why why should you like get yourself into that too much? Brain freeze with the AWS documentation, just use Heroku. And oh my God, like, why didn't I do that before? Like, why didn't I just ask around for other solutions that might be helpful for a startup in our situation? So yeah, then, then we started using Heroku and we did, we don't have a DevOps version until now. We're still using Heroku. I could have made my life a bit easier if we just like moved to Heroku earlier. <laughs> so I guess this is one, one big part of like, oh, one, one thing that I would make different next time. Well, Franzi, last question. So you're getting on a plane and you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur who's built the next big thing. They're jazzed about it. They can't wait to show it off to the world. Can't wait to show it off to you right there on the plane. What advice do you give that person having gone down this road a bit? Stay authentic because you are hearing so many opinions and so many this is how you do it stories. And we heard that so many times that this is not the approach that you would usually do. And we were like, yeah, but this is how we want to do it. And I think if you really want to distinguish yourself and the product, but to be really honest, the product or the, the company, especially in the first one or two years, it's the founders. Investors, they invest in the people who founded the company until the Series A, Series B, I guess. After that, of course, it's a lot about numbers. <laughs> but in the beginning, it's a lot about the people who are building the company. And if you're not able to stay authentic, then people will not believe that you are that you really want that or that, that you are the person who's able to build that product or that vision or that idea that you have so i guess this would be like one advice that i would give that's great advice well franzi thank you for being on the show today thank you for telling the creation story of localize thank you so much for having me and this concludes another chapter of code story Code Story is hosted and produced by Noah Laphart. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcasting app of your choice. Support the show on patreon.com slash codestory for just five to ten bucks a month. And when you get a chance, leave us a review. Both things help us out tremendously. And thanks again for listening.